Hello, I'm Faye Waterman, the Conversation Curator, and this is the podcast, What's Your Superpower? And what we get to talk about is how good are you at what you do and getting you to recognise your brilliance and your magic so it can shine out into the world. Now, my guest today is Kat Randall, and Kat is an international author who helps people finish writing with her online writing coaching. Welcome, Kat, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Faye, for having me. That's my pleasure. Now, Kat, we're going to talk about what your superpowers are, but I think what we need to do first is have a little conversation about a little bit about your backstory, where you come from and how you got to where you are today. Uh, and that will sort of bring out through the conversation your brilliance and your magic and why you are so passionate about what you do today. Right, yeah. So I was born at a very early age and I was born in New Zealand, Takapuna, New Zealand, um, not far from Moanga Pupuki. Uh, and um, my mum and dad were just, you know, my my mum was a clerk and my dad was an accountant. And I discovered at a very early age the power of books. I absolutely adored reading. And at somewhere in that point, I must have worked out that I was going to do that. I was going to be a book writer. I was going to write. And one day when I was going through all of my old textbooks, because, you know, hoarding... <laughs> We do tend to keep more things than we absolutely need. And I've been traveling a bit lately, so I can't take it all with me. I found a um, television screenplay of my favorite cartoon that I'd drawn where Batfink, who is this cartoon character with shield, wings with shields of steel, um, keeps on rescuing people and bringing them back and bringing them back and bringing them back. And then eventually he just lets them fall off the cliff and he flies away. And I thought, that's interesting. Even back then, I must have realized that there are some people who are never going to get saved. And then I thought, but what about the people who do want to be saved? And um, all through my life, what I've loved doing is telling stories. But the other thing I've, I've worked out is I'm, as I've got older, especially once, since I've had children, is I really like encouraging people. I volunteered at the school to help the children read. I've been part of two very successful um, writing groups that have published anthologies and I always tend to thrive within a group of people who are all writing and working towards a goal, which made me realize that actually that's where I'd like to live and help people because that's what I'm good at. For the last, I'd say, 10, 12 years, I've been working with my best friends who are all writers and we've all been encouraging and helping each other to finish our books. Um, I did a master's of creative and critical writing through Winchester University. Um, I thought originally I wanted to do children's books, but I'm actually glad I did the adult version. Well, it's not the adult version, but the other version, because um, it helped me actually understand the process for all authors in terms of uh, writing their novels. From then, I moved into social media, because that's a really good fit, um, with a sideline of writing lesson plans for uh, Sunday schools, which was online for um, the Unity Unity Saints Christian organization. And I've just come to a pivotal point in my life where I really would like to, I would like to do similar to a friend of ours, um, Misty Henkel. She runs this fantastic sales course. And what I want to do is do a, a simple but ongoing version for people who want to keep writing. Because one of the hardest things about writing is, apart from obviously finding the ideas, is the keeping going. I once met this fantastic author, Terry Pratchett, who's one of my favorite, favorite all-time authors. And he said, he knows the start, that's the mountain point. And then down below the mountain, there's this great big valley full of lots of gray mist. 
and he knows his end. That's the other mountain. And his job is to take his characters from the mountain down in the valley all the way through the grey mist and up the other side, uh, which I tend to call the messy middle. And that's what I would like to do is whether it's whether you're just stuck and you just need a, a little bit of an oomph and a personal one-to-one coach or you want to belong to a group that meets on a regular basis and we clock in and we talk about what we've been doing and where we're going and how we're going I think the other reason I've done this also too is I've been inspired I had a very unusual publishing journey in the fact that I was a steam I am a steampunker a steampunker um steampunk please tell (laughs) steampunker Steampunk is a, 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 a kind of, I think of it as an arts movement more than anything else. And, and people like to go back into the early 1800s, you know, beginning of the 19th century when steam was the, the technology of the time. You know, right. back in the day when the Industrial Revolution was kicking off in the black country and all that sort of thing. And they kind of recreate, the, they kind of modernised it into an interesting a mishmash of styles, which the Victorians would have loved. So you see women in fantastic Victorian dresses wearing mm. coarse and so on and so forth. And those big bustles at the back. Yeah, all of oh, that. No. And those corsets that um, stop you from breathing. <laughs> no, we, we've rejigged the corsets. The corsets actually look good on us, but we breathe. And that's the thing. <laughs> Thank goodness. I, I had to give away my corset because I've actually lost so much weight. I don't fit it anymore. But um, I must get a new one at some stage. But, um, yeah. And actually, Do you often the, get dressed up? Uh, not at the moment because there's not a big steam cunt community in Wellington, New Zealand, but I am very aware as soon as I put the, put the word out over a meetup that it'll all just kind of just kick off and go for it. Yeah. Um, there's a huge community in Oamaru down in, um, down in the South Island. And I think we really need one up here. Uh, but at the moment, if I do that, that will take me away from coaching people and writing my own yeah. books. So I have to kind of have to kind of very carefully do it so there are my character is called merciful grace her she's a mechanical maid who can't make an ordinary cup of tea in fact her tea has what been do you mean an ordinary cup of tea well her her tea she travels time and space in a chair and then some some multiverse parallels her tea has been outlawed as a, a weapon of mess destruction um, <laughs> the last liquid that she works on goes into her tea <laughs> on monday she's washing Dishes, her tea is soapy dishwater, soap shards, and tea leaves. Uh, and yeah, but I, but you do want her Saturday tea because on Saturday she was decanting the whiskey. So, oh, well, yes, <laughs> everybody likes Merciful Grace's Saturday tea. Um, An and I'm interesting re- character. How did oh, you get yeah. that name, and how did you develop that character? What was it well, that made it, her come about? She started off, funnily enough, she started off. Um, at a comic con in London uh, what had happened is I'd actually got the costume made because I wanted to create a one-woman show about Wayhill Fair Wayhill Fair is a fairgrounds up in Andover between uh, Wiltshire and Andover in the UK and it's where Thomas Hardy's book The Mayor of Casterbridge started from All there right. is a about a man who sold his wife he got drunk on pottage and got really angry and he and his wife had a fight so he sold her <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's where 
And and that actually is true, and it actually happened, and it happened in Waihor Fair. And I just thought, well, actually, it would be interesting to write a, a short children's play with, you know, two or three characters. And I got the costume made up, and, and I needed to wear a costume to go to uh, Comic-Con. Well, you don't need to wear a costume, but I like cosplay. So I dressed up in her uniform, and then I thought, well, who is she? Well, she's a maid. Well, she's not any old maid, because I'm a steampunker, so she'll be a mechanical maid. And then just before the Comic-Con came along, there was a poetry slam, a Dickens poetry slam so I introduced her that way and unfortunately bless her she's very good at talking so good that I actually lost first place because her oh, intro was really and I came second yeah I was aggravated with her but you know that's the thing about her she's chatty she's very chatty um well I, you know what so be it you you actually got a place you got second place is better than no place at all and you were recognized so therefore you're in mind's yeah. eye yeah well, the thing is she became a solid character and I realized as I met the other steampunkers because I hadn't met a lot of them at that stage that actually That'd being be a mate oh there's loads of them I mean Asylum which is the premier steampunk event in England probably gets over about 3,000 people all dressed really? up mm -hmm. how often is it run Asylums yearly, but there's also other things. And this brings me back to my story. So they decided to do a steampunk event. The powers that um, some beautiful people who run the, the House of Curious Stories decided to run a steampunk event out of the Milestones Museum in Basingstoke, which is only, what, half an hour down the road from where I am. So I volunteered to help. And when I volunteered to help, they had an author's corner. And in that author's corner, that there was me and there was another person called Stephen C. Davies. So I turned up early to listen, as is polite, because I couldn't be there for the whole time, but I wanted at least to talk to the person before and after me. And it turns out that Stephen had written, uh, um, and I, at that stage I was doing a lot, of a lot of research about multiverses. I wanted to know all about different multiverses because it's, it's a key component of my novel. And um, he had a book called Cornix Sinistras, and I and I and it was about multiverse. I said, okay, I'm going to buy a book. I'm going to buy a book because you've worked really hard. I'm going to buy a book. Tell me about your books. And he told me about all the different series he's writing. And as soon as I knew it was multiverse, I picked it up, took it home, and I read it in 24 hours, literally 24 hours. I put the book together, went to sleep, woke up, stayed in bed and read the book. But the other thing that happened was that he actually stayed out of good manners. He stayed and listened to my um, reading because I'd actually just I was reading the first chapter of my novel. And he turned around and said, I'd like to publish you. And I looked at him and went, oh, okay. Can I just think about that? And I walked around the field thinking, okay, so you've got two choices. You can do it yourself or you can do it with the help of someone else. Also too, if you don't take up this offer, you may not ever publish this book. So how about you say yes and see where it takes you? So I said, yes. And the rest is history. I'm now, I'm, he has an international arm. One of his writers is in Germany. I'm now based in New Zealand. Um, and the Sunwind Chair came out a year later. Uh, and the Sunwind Chair has Merciful Grace as a secondary character, and it's the tales of Clark Clarkson. Now, his enemies think that he's not very imaginatively named, but I think it's fine. <laughs> and so does everybody else. And Clark Clarkson has grown, grown up in a world where uh, in the Luddites, when the Luddites came and they smashed up the machines, um, the women put them back together. So the women became good at science and suddenly the women had power and suddenly the world is run by women. And he's a boy that's grown up in a woman dominated world where the boys stay home and look after the kids. Also, what happened during that time is they invented robots and the robots decided they wanted rights and the human beings decided they didn't. So there was a revolution in robots. They actually had to stop the whole world. They had to just stop all the electricity in the world. Um, and we're 50 years on from that 
that that thing and, and Clark Clarkson discovers when his grandmother dies that there's a secret laboratory under his house which is very useful for him and a, and a, and a human sized figure that looks rather robotic in the roof that human figure turns out to be Musil Grace she's been slow time traveling through time because she's his guardian and she's waiting for when she's waiting for the moment right. when she's needed. and yeah. just as she's explaining all of this to him and he's going I don't think I want to borrow this uh, or right down to the fact that you travel time and space in a chair his father is kidnapped by dashing pirate robots. And suddenly he has no choice but to hop on the chair with Moose, hop on the couch, because, you know, you can't just have four people sitting on a chair that's health and safety. To hop on a Sunwind couch with with Merciful Grace, um, a, a a beautiful agent from Sender who he, he rather likes. And unbeknownst to him, she rather likes him, but for a different reason. Merciful Grace herself and anybody else they happen to pick up on the way and they do they, they go through all sorts of different places like they go to um comfy chairs or us they mean they then move on and they're kidnapped by the pirate ship of grumpy old women and there's a huge battle at the end between the pirates who don't like the robots who don't want to, you know um, who want to stop a, an enemy from taking over the multiverse so it's kind of a satire but it's also got that rip roar and action adventure you know i want to read it but you've given away the story you know, not necessarily because I haven't told you who the villains are. And okay, I don't want to know. I don't want to know any more about the book, but I am going to read it because you've created a curiosity there. And let's leave it at that for for anyone who's listening to this that wants to read the book. What's the book called again? The Sunwind Chair. Now, the book we had to we had to pull it out because there's a couple of factual um, inaccuracies in it that I need to fix, uh, and ironically even for a fiction book there's sometimes you have to be sensitive to about the subjects you're writing about uh the book is going to be re-released in december probably the first of december or to first to the 12th the book will be re-released uh, on amazon so it'll be the someone cheap by ch randall and we also we need to renew the cover and a couple of other bits and pieces um it's interesting i don't know if you know this but there's a book uh called solomon's minds it's a it's a um it's a must read if you're into Victorian novels or you're a steampunker. And effectively, he had to do exactly what I'm doing because he talked about an eclipse in, in Central Africa and he got the dates wrong. And everybody uh, wrote okay. and he got the dates wrong. So he All had right. to re release it again. Okay, I'm going to take you back because you've shared so much about your book and about where you've come from and how you you grew up. Was there anyone that inspired you as you were growing up? Yes. Um, Hone Tufari is a poet that I, is a Māori poet I met when I was at university, and he wrote the most beautiful poem, No Ordinary Son. It's online. Go look it up. And if you're lucky, you might even hear him read it. He and I, I used to sit down and I used to ask him about what it would take for me to be a professional writer because you didn't do creative writing as a, as a subject at university in those days. You did English. And he basically he basically encouraged me to send things out and what to do. So that, that was definitely one of them. And also Terry Pratchett, he came to New Zealand um, in my in my early 20s to a con and I was able to sit down and have a chat with him about writing and he explained his writing process hence the mountain, the valley, et cetera, et cetera. And also how he does satire um, and, and how you write just enough about a person that people recognize who it is without writing so much that you're actually slandering someone. Um, and creating a curiosity about them too. So mm -hmm. you're just leaving that little bit. So there's a, a curiosity that you might or you may not find out reading the rest of the story. Yeah. I always wanted to write like him. I, ironically, now um, 
Eric Riddle. Um, my publisher reckons I'm much more Eric Riddle than Terry Pratchett, but um, yeah, he's not a big fan of Terry Pratchett. So, you know, there, there is that. Um, so I think, and also too, oh gosh, there was a, a, a children's author and I can see her book and um, and she used to write these most beautiful, fantastic children's tales, like the glass dragon who swallowed the night. And you could watch the night going down the glass dragon's neck into his stomach. <laughs> and I just, and I just, it was just those sorts of. I liked it. I, I, I absolutely absorbed every piece of um, uh, legend and uh, fairy tale that I could. I mean, the Brothers Grimm are definitely one of my absolute inspirations. But the original Brothers Grimm, mm-hmm. the not the not the Disney eyes fluffy version. But the actual the real one, know, the real yeah, one. the ones with the millstones around the the the, the stepmother's neck, and the, the she kept <laughs> on dancing in the red shoes until she couldn't dance anymore, and, and her feet were all torn, you know. And so she got a she got a, a she she basically got someone to chop the shoes off, and she wears prosthetics now. That that oh. that that, that okay. that's it. Yeah, and I think and and it's interesting because I always tease um t- I my publishing house is Tenebrous Text, and I tease Stephen that you know there's everybody else is kind of like horror or um, nature writing, and they're all very quite you know they write quite um quite grim stories, and I'm here am I writing the happy satire, and then I sat down and thought about the movies that I've been watching in the last half a year, and went oh actually no I do I fit in with them very well. It's just that I write funny. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have a stepbrother. A stepbrother, okay. Mm-hmm. And how much younger or older is he than you? He's 12 years older than me. Right, okay. Now, when you when you were at school, what was school like for you? School started fun and then got really tricky. And I think the thing is I enjoyed school because I enjoyed the structure and I also enjoyed the fact that I got to play with people because effectively my brother left home when I was about six. So I was effectively an only child. But also school started to be a struggle because I'm unusual in the fact that I've got ADHD. So um, You're not unusual. There's a lot of <laughs> lot of ADHD people out there in this world today. But well, back back then... Yeah, back then it wasn't a thing and nor was dyslexia. So um, I started struggling with spelling very, very early on and it's still been the bane of my life. Actually, I went for a, um, every now and again, I do these little jobs and I went went for a job and they did a computer test and it was the spelling that got me. I would have had about 98%, but the spelling got me every time. Um, That's why I really love spelling. uh, That's why I love dictionary.com because I'm always checking in there all the time and I love grammar checks and I love Grammarly because they're my best friends in the world when it comes to (laughs) Um, I began to notice that I was different and I began to notice that everybody else understood something and I didn't get it but what I didn't understand which I finally did understand when I went back and redid my maths qualifications in the UK was that I need to be taught differently yes and there's a fantastic uh in the Scottish in Edinburgh in the Scottish Museum they have this 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 calculating aid called Napier's Bones, which was invented in the 1600s to help people do very complex calculations. And I thought, God, you know how everyone else got a slide rule? If you'd given me Napier's Bones, I'd be a math genius now. Ironically, I actually went back and had a look at or every um, my old um report books because I couldn't bring them to New Zealand so I kind of photographed them and kept them I've got digital copies of them and I'm really good at maths up until I stopped believing that I'm not and I think that brings me what made you stop believing that you weren't good at maths what was that I think it was a combination of stress and an upset in my home life 
I think um, my mother and father went through a very, very tricky time because um, I got my neurodivergency from both both sides of the family. Uh, right. And my I, my father, I think, as a person with autism, I'm, I'm absolutely certain about that. He's just very weird. You know, it's that, that whole social school thing is just not, he's not interested and it's beyond them. Um, and they, they came to a parting of ways um, and it got very, very difficult. And I think mum was going through a bit of trauma of, well, I won't, I should, I don't, I. Um, and a lot of that landed on me. And I lost belief in myself, mm. I think. And I don't know why That's I... Th and 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 math got harder too. And I don't know why I didn't understand. And I just kind of thought I was dumb. And nobody was there. There was mum, mum didn't understand. She was so caught up in everything to do with dad. She didn't realize that I needed extra help. I did ask for extra repetitive help from my parents, but they were too self-involved. I sort of asked for it at school, but school didn't kind of wasn't kind of geared for it at that stage. So mm. I kind of on. The nicest compliment I ever got from my math teacher when I went into year six was, I really respect you because you keep on coming back. You keep on struggling and you keep on coming back. And that was really useful for me. But if I'd actually, if I just had somebody who could just put belief in me, I think I would have been fine. I, for some reason, I knew I was okay in English. Um, for some reason, I knew that English was going to be okay. And I, I, I every, every bit of study I did with English because I had such a good background in all the um, reading that I'd done. It made English a lot easier and also to writing. I've never had any trouble storytelling or writing. And since a, a lot of the English was about that componency, it made mm. it easier. Whereas with mathematics, because I have a um because I have a I have a short-term memory issue, um, it made it very, very difficult. Um, if I was to uh do very and I and ironically, I've just been reading a really interesting book called The Brain That Changes Itself. And one of the things it says is, or you can cure ADHD. Now I don't I don't buy that. I think it's the way your brain's constructed. But what you can do is you can lay down different pathways that are actually conducive to the way your brain thinks. And Absolutely. One of them is yeah. And you can retrain your brain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. One of those things is repetition. And that's, and I know that, if, I know that for a fact, if I want to retain something that's super, super important, uh, repetition is key. And account, and that's where accountability is really interesting. And I think, it's that experience at school where school suddenly got harder and harder. And I, what I didn't understand then is it got hard for a lot of people. It wasn't just me. Yeah. And later on when um, I, I had postnatal depression and uh, went the birth of my second child, I think I began to understand that my second child, unfortunately died. He, oh. he only had, he only had five years worth of very, very beautiful life. We, we were very good with him. Oh. Um, but I'm um, sorry and sad we, to hear that. Yeah, we had a support group though. I had a support group who I usually run every day. And it's through that I came to understand that um, each of us have our own private challenges. Each of us have our own private ways of doing things, you know? And if you get the right support, then that works very well. Uh, a woman that I deeply admire is a, man, a woman by the name of Barbara Long. And she was one of the first people to set up libraries and prisons in England. Um, and I had the I had the privilege of working, uh, volunteering for her writing uh, her writing conferences for about four years while I was doing my MA, and um, I learned so much about what happens when you get the right support and you get the best you get the teaching that works well with you. Absolutely, and and that is so vital to get the right support and the teachers that can take you from where you are to where you need to go and 
allow you to feel comfortable, allow you to grow, use your imagination and expand your mind without feeling stop daydreaming, stop dreaming, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think that when you go to school, you're told stop daydreaming, stop looking out the window, concentrate on this, and you're not given that, what do you say, that leeway to to use your imagination to take you on a journey with whatever subject it is so that you learn it in the way you learn, not in the way that everybody else learns because we all learn differently. We do. We very much do. And now with the advent of Montessori and uh, Steiner, that's made and home and actually homeschooling being more accepted. That's made it more of a more of a. Um, and also too with the Maori language nests as well. They're actually a part of that as well. Um, that that has brought in a whole whole raft of choices. And both of my sons went to Montessori because um, I didn't understand about hyperfocus at that stage, but I do now. But it was they learn through hyperfocus. So if there's a particular area like they want to learn about color, so they go to the color area and they spend as much time as they need in the color area before they go on to the next area. Now, of course, being little kids, they, you know, it's a short time span, but it, it just it just helps and it also helps the parents then focus on well, what are their strengths and I always very carefully picked my school for my first son um, and if I had my brothers I would have taught my second son my third son out of the college that he picked because I knew it wasn't the right fit for him but you know people learn sometimes and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm like you do what you do at the time because that's what you know but when you reflect back on life you look at it and you think oh I could have done this but it wasn't meant to happen. So therefore you did the best you could for for your children at the time. And I think that's with every parent. And I could reflect on that and say, I did the best for my children at the time. If I had my time over again, knew what I know now, it would have been different. Yeah, I think there is one, there is a one challenge in reincarnation and that is we should be able to take some of our memories with us. The good ones, not the traumatic ones. Oh. So, so just to wind it back to where I was about being published. So, I the combination of the fact that I struggled at school and that actually the book publishing was actually very easy. Um, my publisher gets me, which is wonderful. Um, made me realize I, I I've come to a point where I've been doing a lot of social media. I've been helping people put social media together, but I've come to the point where I've I've had enough of social media, um, and it's time to do a pivot and the pivot I've decided to go on is my superpower because I'm in a, I can pour belief into people. That is one thing I'm very, very good at. And I, I noted it from the time that my children were born onwards. Um, if you're looking, if you aim towards the positive and you pour belief into people, it's that old phrase, um, aim for the, aim for the stars. And if you don't reach them, you'll land on the moon. It's still, you know, come second. It's still better than not coming in anywhere in the slam at all. You know what I mean? But um, isn't it, isn't it, amazing that you know when you can bring a person or take a person on that journey to see the magic and brilliance that they have in themselves that is so humbling to see them grow and transform and go on and create magic in their lives and even in the lives of others that is my passion and you said You've had enough of social media. Well, that's my forte. I take people on this journey of authenticity and originality. 
and and help them create their posts for their social media from that because I think everyone's looking for the shiny object and the shiny object is you and your brilliance is to bring out that brilliance and that growth mindset of someone looking at who they are and how good they are at what they do and that's that's in their writing that you help them do that to express mm. express themselves on paper digitally whatever it is it doesn't matter but you give them that opportunity and you take them on that journey of is it learning it's learning it's creativity it's the imagination it's the desire it's it's all of those things that you take them on to create something magical for someone else to read. And I think there's a level of confidence in it as well. I think Yeah, absolutely. Because once you have your elevator pitch or your bio or your um your introduction introduction, what it does is it gives you a sense of confidence because as you tell that story about yourself over and over again, it overcomes imposter syndrome. It helps you focus on what you do. And then, and then with the tools, if you need to go back and rewrite it, it, it you can. I mean, I the, I the amount of pivots I've done for every little, not little, but the amount of pivots I've done for each business that I've worked in has been quite interesting because I, I don't think that when you start off, unless you've got a, an absolute concrete product, but if you've got a service, those services can change and so the writing changes. But if you can say, I am a, my name is Kat Randall and I help people, I help people finish their writing. Sometimes, you know, people who are really good at what they do, they know what they do, but what they need is an outside person to just actually give those words, put those words into play. And when you put the words into play in a way that is right for them, you know, because their face lights up, they, they get it. It sits well in them. It's, and then creating, there, it's creating that awareness for them that that's who they are and that's what they, the possibilities it brings out those possibilities and and everything like that as well. Harking back to Misty again, um, she has a fantastic way of writing bios and I won't ever change it. And that is that um, you project into the future where you're going as much as where you've been. Because most people, when they have a bio, they you know it's a bit like a history. Well-written histories you can read and you're happy with. Not so well-written histories are, oh, and then in 1066 this turned up and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened, which is the way we're taught not to write in school. Um, Whereas with um, Misty's bio, it's about where we're going. Mm. And, and what it's the we're journey. It is, it is. And I think that's something that is really important. And I also think, especially in social media, people key into those journeys. My yeah. posts always do really, really well when I tell a story. I'm, I'm noticing now they're not that keen on great big long stories. So no. flash fiction. Flash fiction is definitely the way forward. But again, you know, that's the thing is it's like you want to have, you don't need to have everything. You know, people don't need to know. People don't need to know that I was really into drama as a kid. People may not need to know that I'm a performance poet. You know, they may not even need to know about Merciful Grace. But if I can say I'm an international author who's published a book, that that gives me a... That gives me a... a Credibility. A, yeah, it gives me a credibility. In fact, I could probably possibly go back to university and say, okay, I can teach now. Um because that is one of those things. And I think the thing is also too, what's important, and this is something I've been saying to the groups I've been talking, business groups I've been talking to is, when my mother died, she took a lot of knowledge with her. Now, luckily, I've been able to go back and find my family in England and put that knowledge back into play. But if, if she'd gone and I had no contact, that would be it. 
that would be me done. I would have no idea of her history or her life or what happened. Now, luckily, I've lived a lot of it with her because she had me quite young. But the whole part of England, all, all her English life, it would have gone missing completely. Luckily, I've, I'm reconnected. But I would have loved it if she'd have written that down or it had been recorded and she could have put it into a book and given it to me. And she doesn't have to publish it online. You know, she doesn't have to. She can just have a book that she can pass to her kids. But just having that would have been a so... legacy. Yeah, it's a legacy. And and you, you've just touched on a point which is really important with everybody. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a legacy. And just because they're your parents, and I'm not saying just because, it because they're your parents doesn't mean to say you know everything about them. You don't know about when they were young and growing up and what their life was like and unless they really take the time to share it with you. And they might share bits and pieces. It's like if your dad had been to war, he wouldn't share the things that he went through with you. But there's a story there. There's a legacy there. And I think it doesn't need to be shared with the world but with families so that you can take that because there's a history with every family. You can take that from there to the, their children, from their children to their children and so on and so on. And I think the more I see this, the more important it is to have your story written or recorded somewhere so that your family can understand you because they they may not have understood you as a parent when they were growing up, but once they hear your story, they can relate and understand why you were the way you were, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And I was laying in bed one night as I was traveling and I suddenly realized with my youngest son, he has no idea because he was born quite late in my life. So a lot of the things that I've gone through, he hasn't seen and nor my eldest either because although he was born fairly early, I, I was a late bloomer in terms of having kids. I, I had my first child at 28 and my last child at 38. So, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of life that pre, pre their experience of me. Um, and also too, it, it was interesting, there's a lot of life pre their father as well, which I think um, is important. Um, I also kind of believe that if they can see that, that will help them in terms of their journeys because one has acknowledged that he, that the eldest has acknowledged that he has ADHD so and is now trying to work his way through the system so what I've been trying to do is just talk to him about you know I find interesting things and I send them to him and I don't get much reply from him because he's because that's the way he is and that's fine he's a lot like my his grandfather in that respect you know quiet on conversation but when he does talk it's re really interesting so yeah. and I think that I think you're absolutely right about the legacy if I had you know if you talk to me about my perfect client my perfect client would be somebody who's working through and I, I've decided I want to write my legacy. I want to start the process of writing my legacy, but I'd like to do it in the style of Maya Angelou, but with a twist. Um, I, the first book of hers I read was uh, the, do the Stars Look Lonesome, Do the Stars Look Lonesome Tonight. And she does a poetry prose that also kind of has a bit of a, um, has a point at the end of it um, or a poem. So and the, so the book's short, but very, very interesting. Very, and it's very deep and quite spiritual. Um, and I thought, well, it would be good to do flash fiction because then I could put it online if I needed to. But the other side of it is that one of my friends who is uh, was was the founder of flash fiction in England recommended Callum Kern. He recommended that I um, partner it with a fairy story that has a that has Why not? A, that has a um, that has a has a, a, a shines a light onto 
the um the story and I thought you know that's actually very interesting and I think the thing for me is short and sweet is absolutely wonderful I've just finally read Holly Berry's um latest book which is about her aunt now her aunt was um her aunt her parents died her aunt was one of the her her aunt's parents lived in the black country in um up in um, Bilston and they died both of them died and her brothers were four, 16 and 14 and it, the welfare league considered it re retrospectively that they were too young to look after the youngest sister who was 12 so they mm -hmm. sent her to a care home who sent her to Canada as a working child and so the daughter never got to go the sister never got to go back and they didn't allow them to talk to uh, the, the letters from the brothers never got through and she never got to go back and so these these English children were separated from their families and sent overseas in the um, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, oh no, in the time yeah, in the time of the colonies, in the times of the American colonies, but they were sent to Canada, and and they never got to she never got to re kind of connect with her family. And so as as um, Holly decided to write a, a book about it in a poetic style, which is really gripping, but it, it, it it's interesting. Those stories to me are interesting. The human stories. I've been um, love the asked, human stories, yeah. Um, mm. And I think the thing is, like my favorite authors, my favorite uh, science fiction authors are based more in the humanity. Um, I love Russell T Davies as Doctor Who scriptwriter because he always tries to bring uh, the humanity of the situation. And I really like, um, I really like, um, uh, I really like. I can't pronounce his name, but he wrote Clara in the Sun and the Remains of the Day. Ishigo, I think it was Igor Romaro, but um, don't quote me on that one. Um, and he wrote a fantastic book about clones called Never Let Me Go. And it's just completely from the clone's viewpoint, but you don't know they're clones. You have to work that out as you're going through the situation. And by the time you get to the end, you're just so horrified and saddened and and uh, about what's going to happen to them you know what I mean it really and I, I'm glad that cloning isn't a thing I think it's I think it's a technology we've been playing with but we're just never going to kind of well let's gonna... hope let's hope not but AI is here now so we're, we're not even going to go there but what I want to do now is take you to look at what your superpowers are what do you think your superpowers are Catch? I talk uh, Google once said, what are your superpowers? And I went, talking, talking is my superpower. Actually, it's not true. Story Storytelling is my superpower. When I'm in sales, I'm very, very careful about how I pro how I promote things because you, I can sell ice to the Eskimos and sand to Saudi Arabia, which New Zealand has done both of, by the way. Um, <laughs> okay. And in the writing, what is it that's your superpower when you're working with someone, one of your clients? I can pour, when I speak out, I pour belief in. Um, I have an ability to be able to see if it's a good story or not. And everybody's story is a good story. It's just a matter of how you structure it. And what I can do is help them uh, find the right words and find the energy to finish. Do you know what I mean? And, and have belief that the story that they're writing is a good story and people will want to read it because they will. And I, you, you've said that, you know, they might have the beginning and the end and then there's this dip here so you can help them start, you know, they've started, but you can help them go through the ups and downs through to the end to, to use their imagination and their creativity by giving them the confidence to know that they can do that with your support mm. and nurturing. 
Yeah, there's a really, um, in the Western world, there's a thing called a three-act structure and most novels fit around that three-act structure quite comfortably. And it's 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 a lovely, it's it's a bit like, you know, when you're riding a bike and you have training wheels. Well, actually, they don't do that now. What they do is they have bikes that don't have um, pedals. Yes, so that's right. Balance. Yes. That's right. And then when you've got that, you move on to the pedal bike. So mm. what this three-act structure does is it gives you the ability to be able to um, put your story within that without it losing the tone and the voice. And that's mm. something that's actually really, really, you can listen to um, a, a fairy story over and over again, but um, Margaret Atwood made this point. Okay, there's two ways that you can tell the story. The first one is there was a little girl, she had a red hood and she went into the forest, or you can start the story, huh, it's awfully dark in the wolf's stomach. Oh, that's that's very dramatic. <laughs> very good, because you want to, because yeah. then you ask the questions: Who's in the wolf stomach? Why are they in the wolf stomach? Why is it dark? How they? Why are they still alive? How are they yeah. going to get out? And yeah. so reading, and I think that there's been a real surge. You know, there's that television series to call a midwife, which is based on the autobiographical novels of the same name there's a real urge to learn about the things that have gone past. And and the thing is, Faye, I, I, um, I'm an unusual creature in the fact that I was born pre-computers and all my thoughts and all those patterns come pre-computers. Me too. <laughs> it, 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 it gives us a kind of a, it gives us a kind of an energy and an, an, an ability to persevere in a way that um, people may not have in the same way. And I think the thing is because I know you can do it and I know how you get stuck in the middle and sometimes it gets messy. Also too, I can see sometimes I might lean in and say, I think that's a good thing to tell the family, but I don't think now's the time to tell them, or this isn't the point to tell the family that put it there or let's consider this very deeply because it could upset quite a few people. So why don't we seal it? And they can read that when you've gone to glory. Okay. Because, yeah. um, <laughs> and then they, then they can fight amongst themselves or, or bitch amongst themselves. But your superpowers I see are bringing people together, their creativity, nurturing it, getting them to feel confident and comfortable within themselves to put words on paper, to tell the story or stories that they want to tell. And mm. that's a gift in itself. Would you say that's your one of your superpowers? Absolutely. And I think the second superpower is if they have an intention of being a professional, I then turn around and show them where to go to send their stories because there is a wealth of places you can publish things. Um, especially online, that has absolutely changed the whole landscape, right down to whether you self-publish, whether you self-publish with a publishing house, or whether you or whether you send it to a publishing house. Um, it's it's yeah, but definitely yeah, bringing people. And it's ironic when you're thinking about that. One of the things I want to do before Christmas is gather my friends who are writers who are in the process of writing novels, and actually get together once a month over dinner and actually talk about us, talk about you know, just do what I want to do for everyone. But just for my friends so and for myself because I think that it's a, a useful thing um, encouraging people is inspiring uh, but it also comes with a responsibility and with great power comes great responsibility and that responsibility is that you have to do it yourself you can't just say look I, I can write books you have to keep on writing books now I'm very lucky that my publisher is a Stephen C Davies is an, an incredible inspiration he just is absolutely super focused um, and he has goals 
it's not that I don't have goals. It's just yeah, life life after COVID has been unusual and, and joyous, but it, it, it takes a bit of getting used to. And that was something I wasn't prepared for. Um, I don't think anyone was. <laughs> no, no, I call it the new weird because in my head, I have a picture of how it was. And now there is what it is. I mm. think coming to, coming to New Zealand after COVID and once they'd relaxed the restrictions, but they hadn't stopped using face masks was really interesting because I only know what I can see. They still have that image of what it was before. Um, so I'm I'm quite lucky in that respect because that that, that reset has just that reset has just been taken on and is new with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing. But I do think that these and again, these COVID stories are going to need to be told because they will get lost. Right now yeah. they're too raw now. And I and I, I liken it to the First World War. When the veterans came back, they couldn't talk about it. They just couldn't yes. talk about it. Exactly. But in the- and and they those stories go to their grave and they never get told a lot of them, which is a shame. Although it was very interesting when when England commemorated a hundred years of the First World War, they though the, the veterans that were left were really keen to tell their stories, but not to tell the world, to tell their family. Yeah. Um. So there comes a pivotal point in a trauma where, if that story is going to get told, it, the person will release that story as a way of letting go. Um. And I think that that's really important in its own right, and I think that we need to think about that and how we tell those stories because um, the interesting thing about the big C is this is the first generation that has actually been able to document what's happening. Mm. The last generation was at the turn of the century because we had the Spanish flu in 1914, 1919, uh, 1916 to 1920. And there is some documentation, but not a lot. And one of the comforts I had was actually reading through some of those um Spanish flu survivors and how they survived you know and it just gave me a bit of light at the end of the tunnel and I think that's the thing about our stories our personal stories is we don't understand the perseverance that happens Mm. Um, we don't understand what what struggles especially with the women what we've had to go through to get to this point it's it's all interesting but how do people get in contact with you Kat cat.randall uh, at kirurumedia.com um, and also Catherine H. Randall or Cat Randall on Facebook, uh, two ways you can get in touch with me. I prefer email if possible because you've got a big chance of me coming back to you. Um, and then the website, again, will be up about Christmas. When the book relaunches, the website will be back. So um, oh, I joined Misty Hinkle's sales class. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Pat. It's been an interesting time listening to you, where you've come from and, and the achievements and the joy that you actually get out of the history and the storytelling and what you can see in people and how you bring out their magic and their brilliance and their confidence and their perseverance and persistence to be able to achieve the things that they want to achieve in their life. So thank you so much. I'm Faye Waterman. This has been What's Your Superpower? And I'll be back with another soon. It's bye from me for now. Thank you.